Today's program is brought to you by Cane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit cane5.com. I'm Erin Fairbanks, host of The Farm Report. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Greetings and welcome to Animal Instinct here on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Celia Kutcher. I'm also known as the Food Healer. Thanks for tuning in today. Today I'm going to be speaking to Forbes Ellis. He is the Director of Volunteer Services at the Hospice of Santa Cruz County. We're going to talk all about the Pet Companion Program there and uh, find out what they do and all that good stuff. So I'd like to just get started. Hey, Forbes, are you there? I'm here. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good, thanks. Getting over a little cold, but hopefully we'll hang in there. Yeah, I hear you. Me too. If there's any coughing fits, don't even worry about it. Just turn your head. It'll be okay. Yeah. So thank you so much for taking time to talk to us. I know you're a really busy guy. And um, after hearing about this program, needless to say, I'm really interested about it. So is it okay with you if we just get started? Of course. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, thank you. So, for starters, for people who may not know, can you explain what hospice is? Sure. So, hospice is a service that's provided for people who are within uh, six months of passing, so the last six months of their lives. We have about 60% of all of our patients at home, and we have a the rest of our folks are in facilities. And hospice is a way of supporting people um, with palliative care, meaning uh, comfort care towards mm-hmm. the end of their lives when they've decided not to pursue um, any further treatment um, regarding their illness. And so they're provided with uh, a medical doctor, nurse, a nurse, a uh, social worker, chaplain if they so desire, home health aides, and volunteers. Wow, that's really nice. And so what do you do in hospice? So I'm the director of the volunteer program, so we um, provide volunteers in many capacities for patients, um, beginning with uh, simply companionship Mm -hmm. for patients and families, respite for caregivers, and we also have several specialized programs that provide uh, pet companion visitors, uh, massage therapists, music therapy, bilingual volunteers, veterans who support other veterans. And we also have a pre-med program where we're training future physicians to be volunteer visitors in the spirit of a best-selling book called Being Mortal by Atul Gawande. And that's part of the national conversation on how can we educate physicians about when and how to refer patients to hospice. Um, nice. And the last thing we do is we have a vigiling program. So in the last day or two of someone's life, especially those in facilities who may not have loved ones um, close by, mm-hmm or at all at that point. Um, We provide volunteers to 
hold vigil for those folks um, in the last day or two of their life, which means sitting at the bedside, mm-hmm. holding, holding a hand, uh, playing music if they like. Um, so there's a lot of different ways we serve patients. Yeah, that sounds so wonderful. It's I'm really impressed. Excuse me. I'm sorry. I'm really impressed with what you guys do. And it's hearing all this is just something that's really touching me. And um, thank you guys for doing what you do. I mean, I've heard of hospice, but I never was really sure what went on there besides the program we're going to talk about. But it really sounds like something that's really, really special and actually very, very important. So thank you. Thank you. How long have you been doing this? So I've been doing hospice work on and off for 20 years. I wow. started as a volunteer myself at the Zen Hospice up in San Francisco and um, just can't seem to get away from the work. I've mm-hmm. worked for five or six different hospices at this point and um, find a lot of a lot of meaning and um, very invested in the work. So Nice. And yeah. so how did you get involved working with the Pet Companion Program? So the Pet Companion Program, um, when I inherited it, I started my current position almost two years ago, and it was a new program with only four dogs. Mm -hmm. And um, being a dog person myself, having grown up with a a mom who raised a couple of litters of dogs and trained dogs, um, she knew the Tellington Touch, which is a specialized form of massage for, for, for animals. And, you know, so I think just... Going way back, I've always been a, a dog person, and then uh, inheriting this program a few years ago that had just started, um, I was finding myself in a position of having to say no to social work requests for mm. pets, uh, for patients, and that was not something that I wanted to be saying. Yeah. <laughs> so I uh, set out to do a bunch of informationals in the park, um, which were really successful, attracted a lot of interest in the program. And here we are about a year and a half later, and um, we have uh, 16 dogs now, and I have not had to say no to a request in a long time, which is great. That's awesome. That's awesome. And so do these dogs do house visits as well? Do they what now? Do do they do house visits as well, or they just stay on the property? Yep. They are trained and certified to visit at the home and in facilities as well. Nice. And so where do you get these dogs? So we recruit from the community. We um, we are operating at this point a little bit on word of mouth mm-hmm. as well, which is really great. And the the main thing is just to, you know, we go through a process where I get to interview the dogs mm-hmm. and they're humans. Um, and then if they pass that first round of, um, you know, if we, if we get past that, stage in the process, then we go ahead and have our animal behaviorist uh, evaluate the dogs. We have a really wonderful woman named Julie Bond who used to work with the San Diego Zoo. She's got a master's degree in animal behavior from UC Davis and has a private practice working with all kinds of different animals, and she works with various hospices. And she comes down and does an evaluation for all of our dogs at once, Mm -hmm. um, making sure that they're well socialized, which is also important. And she teaches a class for our human volunteers at the same time. And so there's definitely some levels to the process to bring someone on board, because after that they would have to also go through our regular volunteer 30-hour training program. That's a, yeah, that's a really good idea. And so, 
Like, are there yeah, certain breeds that you find that are better for this? I'm sorry? Are there certain breeds that you find that are better for this Certain work? breeds. Well, you know, I don't want to be a breedist. I think Fair really enough. a lot of animals and breeds have gotten a bad rap, mostly due to the handlers yeah. and um, owners. So um, that said, um, I can tell you what we do have right now. Um, we have a mix of labs, uh, poodles, chihuahuas, Cocker Spaniels, uh, Golden Retriever, Schnauzer. Um, you know, some people really prefer a lap dog um, so that they can really get up on the bed with a patient mm-hmm. and snuggle in. Um, and obviously with the bigger dogs, you can't do that. Yeah. Um, so we try to match the dog with the request and the patient based on the patient's condition. So that's really the way we approach it as opposed to... Uh, looking for a particular breed yeah yeah i mean i had a jack russell as a kid and that dog would have just been possibly the worst volunteer ever (laughs) for your hospice program yeah (laughs) yeah i definitely have to turn some dogs away Uh, i'm sorry go ahead no no go ahead so what did the dogs do at hospice so The dogs accompany um, the volunteers, they're human, on visits to the home and the facilities. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, essentially, it's about companionship, it's about unconditional love, it's about giving people a break from what they're dealing with. I mean, we had one patient who, she had her whole family um, in visiting with her when, um, and I'm going to change the names around for confidentiality's sake. Yeah, please. When uh, Chloe, the dog, arrived for her visit and um, our patient, you know, Karen said, I want to introduce you all to um, to to everyone in the room, but I'm going to start in order of importance. This is Chloe. And she introduced our dog you nice. know, first. Um, and so it really just shows the the importance um, of having these dog visits for for several of our many of our patients who are able to, to benefit from that. And, um, you know, I've got story after story of the benefits, and then there's also a lot of research on the benefit of pet visits, um, research coming out of UCLA and other places. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I would love to talk about that in a moment. What makes yeah, me sure. think, too, is, like, I think about, you know, if someone's timeline is ending, there's so many times where I had a friend who was very, very ill and spent some time with her before she passed. And, you know, people would visit and they get that like haunted look and that fear of I'm not sure what to say. I'm not sure how to interact with this person. I'm not sure what the correct dialogue is. And at least, you know, a dog just comes in, wags its tail and is like, hey, I'm here for you. So, I mean, Absolutely. I can imagine Dogs that it are would, a wonderful icebreaker. That's a wonderful icebreaker. And, um, you know, helps everybody to feel at ease in the room. And, you know, death and dying is a topic that is largely swept under the rug in our culture. It's not something that people typically want to talk about. And, you know, that's understandable, of course. Um, And it can be a lonely place as a result when you get there towards the end of your life. So all these services are geared up towards supporting people in that process, making it a safe place for them to move through anything and everything that they need to move through, express what they need to express. And if that means just sitting with someone in silence who doesn't feel like expressing anything, then that's what we, that's what we're there for as well. That's so nice. on the need. Yeah. 
It's so nice. And it's so important. You know, you're, you're listening and seeing what these people really do want instead of like, no, this is what you should have. And, you know, that exactly. kind of thing, you know, it's like just to give them some peace and quiet and just some respite, like you said, from everything that's been going that was going on, you know. That's really the cornerstone that you're touching on. Um, we teach mindful awareness practices to our volunteers so that they can track moment to moment what's happening during a visit um, from the moment they step foot in the room um, so that the patient and the patient's family are the focus. We don't come in with our own agendas, and that's especially important when it comes to something like spirituality. So the chaplain when the chaplain visits, you know, the chaplain is not there to convert anybody or yeah. to preach, yeah. but just to ask people in a really open-ended way, how are you? you yeah. know, how are you with your process, and how can I best support you? Um, and that's really important, I think, and that's uh, a key um, to, our, to our service. I think so, too, because it's like my mom was really sick, too, and she was knocked unconscious for a while because her body couldn't handle the drugs. And so, you know, it became this thing of, like, what was best for her, you know? And it was like, well, the doctors say this is best for her and what she wanted to be let go. And so it became this real – it was very interesting to see the whole, like, now that I can look best step back from it because I'm not in it, you know, to see this whole, like, aggressive, we want this and us being like, well, we want this. And, you know, my poor mother's unconscious between us, you know, who can't really say anything um so it makes it you know it makes it a really complicated and difficult subject especially because we're all terrified of death in this country and aging so you know it makes it even more special that the dialogue is that much more difficult to bring up well doctors are trained to save lives which is obviously a great thing definitely um, and they are also they also view death as a quote-unquote failure mm. so that's the medical terminology and so as I was saying before, you know, part of our work is to train future physicians on how and when to refer to hospice yeah. so that there's not that feeling of, I failed, but rather this is a natural part of life. How can we best support this patient? And again, it's up to the patient. So we're just trying to encourage doctors to have the, the conversation with yeah. the patient. You know, here's what it looks like. Um, here are the options that you have, as far as I'm aware. Um, you know, how can I support you and your family making these decisions? And I think that's unusual in our culture mm -hmm. um, be and because we place doctors on a pedestal and we treat them as the expert, which rightly so, they're expert in many, many ways. But when it comes to um, service and, you know, we use, again, mindfulness as a path to service, yeah. um, how can we be 100% client-centered? in a way to support that patient the best the best we can. Um, so it sounds like your mom was um, before not in hospice at that time. Unfortunately, no. She was in ICU, and so basically she wound up passing in ICU, so it made it that much more difficult. And you're right. I mean, you know, doctors are trained that their success is saving someone. So that whole moral issue itself for physicians, I can't even under – I mean, that must just be so complicated because she basically, if she was able to survive, she would have been a paraplegic – and would have had a voice box. And my mother's favorite things to do was to talk to everyone on the planet, like her daughter, and to exercise a lot and take a lot of long walks and things like that. You know, so if yeah. she had survived, her quality of life just would have been so bad that it really, you know, then you start wondering about life and, you know, the quality of life and this sort of thing, you know. And so hospice for me is something that I really, really respect, um, and would love to learn more about because I think it's a really beautiful option 
that's available for people not to feel, you know, to feel like their decision is correct and that they're going to get as much support and as love as they can in order to achieve what they want. Absolutely. And, and you know, there's, there's no wrong decision. There's just the decision that you've made at that moment, which mm-hmm. is the best you could do at the time. And sometimes people opt for, you know, more invasive procedures, and then they change their mind later and opt for quality of life and palliative care. And for anyone wondering more, um, to learn more about what we're talking about other the show, you can check out the documentary called Being Mortal on PBS.org. And it's Atul Gawande is based on his book. Um, his father opted for hospice care, and he got to see firsthand, Atul Gawande did as a physician, um, how his father went through that process very gracefully and was able to um, have a wonderful quality of life Skype with his friends in India, um, get closure on any relationship that he had, you know, put his things in order, and still enjoy some time with the grandkids. And, you know, it's a personal choice, you know, whether you want to go for those invasive procedures or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is just part of an education process to explore hospice and what the options are. And this is definitely another option to the death and dying process. Absolutely. So, Forbes, we need to take a quick commercial break, but I am speaking to Forbes Alice, Director of Volunteer Services of the Hospice of Santa Cruz County, all about the Pet Companion Program. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Music for this commercial break is brought to you by Taxstar. This one's called Third Degree Rug Burns. This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery, calling in from Spring Mountain above the Napa Valley. Thank you for listening to this show. In our industrial world of highly processed food and wine, we support the values of Heritage Radio Network. All of us at Kane encourage you to seek out individuality and beauty in everything you eat and drink. To learn more about us, go to Kane5.com. I'm talking to Forbes Ellis, who is the Director of Volunteer Services at the Hospice of Santa Cruz County, and we're talking all about dogs there. So, Forbes, are the dogs a certain age, typically, when they get there? Do you have all-age animals there? Uh, Did you ask about the age? Yeah. Okay. The age of the dogs, you know, they have to be at least a year old. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say that the average age of our dogs is about eight and, um, you know, the older dogs do seem to be a little bit more mellow and obviously have benefited from extra years of training, um, which all of our pet owners are really wonderful. They've, they've really uh, developed a wonderful relationship with their pets, and that just translates to, um, to the visits that they make with our patients. That's so nice. Yeah. And it's so important, too. Do you find that the work is stressful for the dogs? 
So we train the volunteers to take the dog's lead, and dogs are pretty good about um, letting their owners know when they're done yeah. with a visit. Um, so keeping our dogs happy is, is super important, and part of the training that our animal behaviorist, Julie Vaughn, does when she comes down is to, to coach the um, volunteers on how, how to observe signs and uh, symptoms that your dog might be stressed out and mm-hmm. how to gracefully uh, end the visit. And, um, you know, but, uh, again, most of our um, handlers, our dog owners, are pretty well attuned to their dogs. Yeah. And so the visits happen pretty seamlessly. Uh, and, like, how long is a typical dog visit? So, you know, it depends. But I would say on average it could be about 30 minutes, although there's times where a dog will curl up and fall asleep on a patient's lap Uh and will uh, either um, give the patient permission to fall asleep as well or um, give the patient and the volunteer time for conversation. So it's really as different as each patient is. Um, Just depends. And do you have any dogs that truly, really love this and, you know, come in every day all excited and that kind of thing? Yeah, so I've definitely had many of our volunteers tell me that as soon as um, the dogs get to the house that they're visiting and they visited before or the facility, that they are noticeably um, excited, maybe not as excited as going to the beach on a run. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, that's to be expected. But, but yeah, I think that, um, you know, that the dogs wouldn't be, the, the volunteers wouldn't be taking their dogs out if, if there wasn't uh, something happening there. There wasn't uh, some good things happening there. That's very true. Yeah. And so, I mean, I know that some dogs actually are being trained nowadays to sniff out cancer and things like that. Do your dogs, are they aware of when someone's going to pass? Like, do they notify people or anything like that? <laughs> So the thing that I hear most often is that a dog will go, you know, because often it's not just the patient in the room, but it can also be the family members, et cetera, that the dog tends to go to the person who needs them the most oftentimes, or at least start there, Mm -hmm. um, which I think is interesting. I mean, I firmly believe that, you know, dogs and animals are intuitive. And as you mentioned, um, there are dogs that are being trained now to to sniff out cancer, which is pretty outstanding. Yeah, it's crazy. so I think that, you know, we're probably, even though the use of animals in a therapeutic setting has been going on since the 1800s, as mm-hmm. far as we know, with Florence Nightingale and others, um, I still think that we are maybe at the precipice of, of a lot of new research happening with animals in a, in a good way, not for cosmetic companies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. I'll try not to get too political in this conversation. Oh, it's totally cool, man. I'm right there with you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm just, I'm so, I'm really, really touched talking to you about all this. And I'm, it's just, it's giving me a really, really nice feeling. And I just, I love what you guys are doing. It's, you know, especially like when my mom was at ICU, she lo- she adopted my dog basically when I moved out. Mm. You know, and if I could have gotten my dog to her, it would have made such a difference. Yeah, the research is really amazing. You know, the there's one study out of UCLA I was mentioning, and um, they found that anxiety scores dropped 24% for participants who received a visit from a volunteer dog team and um, levels of stress hormones, epinephrine dropped an average of um, 17% after a dog visit. Um, Blood pressure drops 10%. 
um, heart rate goes down, the um, amount of pain that someone perceives that they're in really? goes down. So there's a lot of um, really wonderful studies happening now with not just pet-assisted therapy, but also music therapy and other types of quote-unquote alternative therapies where um, the reduction of pharmaceuticals is a reality now. And you mentioned your mom being um, very medicated. And oh, yeah. that's something I, I just wanted to address, that in hospice, you know, we do our best to um, make sure that people aren't in pain, mm-hmm. but that they are as conscious as possible, you know, and that's one of the big misconceptions of hospice is, oh, they just give you all this morphine and then you're snowed and and that's it. And that's really not how it goes at all. Um, in the vast majority of the time, there are uh, exceptions where someone has breakout pain that's very, very difficult to manage mm-hmm. where more medication is needed. Um, but you would be having the same types of medication if you were in the hospital trying to uh, elect invasive types of procedures. So uh, the benefit is that you're at home um, with your loved ones, ideally, yeah. and or in a, in a facility that's hopefully a good quality facility, um, and you have your pain managed, but you're as conscious as possible. And so that's really one of the goals, you know, from the medical side of things. Well, I think we do a really good job of that. You've been in hospice, you've been working hospice for quite a while now. So in your opinion, what do you think is the mis- biggest misconception about hospices? Well, you know, there's a lot of people believe that hospice is where you go to die or hospice is where you go and they kind of give you medication that kills you. And, mm. you know, that's different from, you know, the new End of Life Option Act here in California and some other states that have it. Um, so I think that is one of the, the misconceptions. And the other thing that happens is sometimes there's a family member who will say, you know, don't give up, you're giving up, um, mm-hmm. particularly, you know, a younger uh, a son or a daughter. And Emotionally, I can understand that 100%. We don't want to lose our loved ones. And there are times when our loved ones are just, are they're done. You yeah. know, they're ready to have as much peace as possible for the days that they have left. They feel complete. And they're ready to let go. And, and that's very difficult when people are holding you back. And, you know, oftentimes people actually die when the family leaves the room. Mm-hmm because of the attachment, um, it's easier to let go when you don't have that strong pull and attachment. So I realize that I might be getting a little bit outside the scope. No, 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 no. This is all pertinent. This um, is fine. It's all part of it. And the pets that the pets help, you know, in that process of helping a patient find as much ease, as much unconditional love, um, and as much joy as possible on the way out, basically. You know, we're sort of like midwives on the other end. <laughs> it's it's really beautiful. I mean, it's it's really yeah. it's it's you know, it's sitting. I'm sitting here like, damn it, why couldn't we get my mother into hospice? You know, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I love the fact that you have this and it's available for other people. And you know, talking to you about it as well, I just had no ideas what hospice was really. I mean, I knew it was kind of like an end of the life spot, but I was you know, hearing about all these programs and things was. I mean, I'm completely ignorant on this, too, you know. But so hearing about this is just so wonderful to hear this. And it's my favorite thing about it is giving the person who's on their way out the ability to still have some dignity. Absolutely. Um, You know, our mission is to really honor the choices of individuals and families by giving them great end-of-life care 
um, and including grief support. You know, after someone has passed away, we have a really wonderful grief support program at Hospice of Santa Cruz County. Um, we just did a, we're just getting ready for a children's grief weekend wow. called Camp Aaron, which is done by other folks as well. And, wow. Um, we'll definitely have music therapy and pet therapy there as well, supporting the kids who are going through grief. So. We cast a wide net in the community to support folks with, with this process of death and dying and or grief and loss. It's, it's fantastic. I mean, it's really, really wonderful what you guys do out there. And I mean, just including the dogs, it's like, I love talking about the dogs. And needless to say, this is an animal show. But this topic is, I think, so important um, that to discuss the other angles of it, I mean, I'm all for it because... Yeah, the dogs are doing something really important, but it's also, for me, it's, I, hearing the entire story makes it that much better. Yeah, yeah, it puts, puts it in a context, and I just hope that I'm lucky enough to have a, uh, a wonderful hospice supporting me if I'm at that stage and, um, and have some time left to, to, to go through the process as opposed to, uh, you know, people who have like a sudden death um, mm-hmm. who don't have the opportunity to uh, really go through that stage in that way. Now, I have, I have kind of a question. I don't know if this is a question or a story or what this is, but a friend of mine's sure. mother was terminally ill. It was very sad. It took her quite a while to pass. And they had a little dog. And the dog, once she started getting, was really on her way out and was usually unconscious, the dog would spend all the time with her. And so when she passed, she was fortunate enough to have her entire family with her with this dog. And after she passed, everyone left the room and the dog wouldn't leave. And there was a housekeeper from the Caribbean there who was adamant and said, the dog is not going to leave until, the, the, until your mother's soul leaves. And they were like, you know, okay, whatever. They were all, you know, just trying to deal with what just happened. Ten minutes later, the dog walks out of the room like, okay. I mean, have you seen this? Well, it's interesting. I mean, there's a lot of beliefs about, you know, the way that um, the spirit leaves the body and, you know, if there's a spirit at all. Mm -hmm. um, Certainly, there have been a lot of stories about animals even going to someone's, their owner's grave site. Yeah. Um, and spending time there. So, you know, I really think that um, as time goes on, we're going to discover that that do- not just dogs, but animals are sentient beings and they are um, intuitive. And I, I think that dogs especially, um, I'm a little biased, but I think dogs especially um, can be highly intelligent and have a very unique bond with their their human and that can lend itself to situations like you're describing absolutely Mm -hmm. yeah really really fascinating so we need to wrap up here but do you have like a favorite incident or favorite story from your work with the dogs um there's so many it's a little hard to choose um i would say that um one story that um comes to mind is that uh we had a patient, um, Rachel, I'll say, and she had visits from uh, a dog, Lola, and um, the patient was largely um, sleeping, you know, most of the time, 20, 22 hours a day towards the end, and mm-hmm. she had been having these visits with, uh, with Lola for quite a while. And when Lola arrived with her human for her visit, um, the patient's daughter, you know, said, Mom, 
Lola is here, and you know she, the woman. This patient of ours hadn't opened her eyes in two days, mm. and at that moment she opened her eyes and said, "Oh, Lola, I was just dreaming about you." Oh. And the the volunteer said, "Oh, what were you dreaming about?" And, and the patient said, "I was just dreaming about you, and um, I dreamt that I was very very tired, and and you told me that it's okay. I'm tired too." So the dog had communicated with her. Wow. Um, and I think that, and then I believe she, she passed very soon after that. Mm. And it was almost as though she felt like the dog had given her permission to let go. I mean, she had clearly developed a bond with this dog totally. and, a, and a beautiful relationship. So um, we have all kinds of stories like that um, that happen with our dogs. So um, I feel uh, humbled to be in a position to... To, to to witness what's happening mm. with our patients with the Pet Companion Program. And, and I know there are quite a few hospices around the country. If anyone else is interested in getting involved, you can just Google, you know, your local hospice or your local ASPCA. Or there's a couple of organizations. One's called Furry Friends and one's called Therapy Dogs International. Mm. Um, all these places can help uh, people uh, learn more about how to be of service if they have a, a pet that they're considering. And I believe we'll have our first cat coming on board in the spring. All so right. We're not, do- not doggists. Yay. We're try to branch out and <laughs> include some other types of animals. So uh, well, no, no horses yet. That might be a little That, that could be rough. Week. We can probably get you a therapy snake, though, if you're really desperate for some reptiles. Yeah, it's That'd be interesting. to be all the rage these days. <laughs> Current generation. <laughs> right? It'd be like, here's something calming. <laughs> it's like, ah! Yeah, probably in about 40 to 50 years, we'll be starting to having more snake requests from from all the 20-somethings who are into snakes these days. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> but until then, we'll keep it fuzzy and cute. <laughs> Pretty much, that. yeah. <laughs> Well, Forbes, uh, this has been such a pleasure. Uh, thank you uh, so much. I've really, really enjoyed this. I've learned a ton. I thank you. You really are. You've got the information, man. And it's thank you so much for sharing it. Uh, thanks, Celia. Thanks for having me on the program. It was fun. Oh my God, I had a blast. And let's keep in touch. If you guys have events or anything like that that I can help you with, I mean, I'm in New York, so my location ain't great. But if there's anything I can ever do to help you guys, please, seriously, this is uh-huh. sincere. Like, get in touch, and we'll do something. Thank you. I appreciate it. Likewise. And, uh, totally, man. I would love to. Next time I'm in California, actually, I want to come visit and see this program in action. Yeah, that would be wonderful. We'd love to have you on a visit. Thank you. Yay. All right. All right. So for my listeners, thank you guys for tuning in. We will have a brand new show next week. Uh, until then, be nice to your animals and take care. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.